بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد طيب سلاست سشن we covered the, um, we began our study of the hadith, the hadith al-thalith, the third hadith of uh, Abi Abdul Rahman, Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala, anhuma, the hadith, wherein he said that he heard the messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, say, Bunya al-Islam ala khams, Islam is built upon five, and then he mentioned them, the first one, shahadatan la ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammad rasulullah, the establishment of a salah, the giving of a zakah, pilgrimage to the bait, Ramadan, and fasting in Ramadan. As a little recap, this narration here, how is it different to the previous narration in? The hadith of Jibreel, wherein the Messenger والسلام, said, Al Islam and Tashada and La ilaha illallah, ila akhir al hadith. When the Messenger said, Islam is, that you testify that no God has the right of being worshipped except, except Allah, to the, to the rest. How is it different? Because the Shahada, Salah, Zakah, Psalm in Ramadan, and Hajj have been mentioned in the previous hadith, in the hadith of Jibreel. So what did Shaykh, Shaykh Abdul Wahsin al-Abbad, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, what did he say in regards to this? How is it different? What's so significant about the wording that's in this hadith, Yunus? Sorry? Ahsan In this hadith, there's an explicit mentioning of the fact that Islam is built upon, based upon these five pillars. So this... Uh, 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 this extra information it, it highlights the significance and the importance of these five matters that Islam is built upon them here there's an explicit mentioning that they are, that they are actual pillars of Islam so last session we stopped at Zakah yeah so that was part number what? Part number six. So today we're going to move on to part number seven. So concerning part number seven, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says that fasting in the month of Ramadan, or fa- uh, fasting in the month of Ramadan, that's a, that is an ibadah badaniyah. It is an act of worship related to your body. As we said before, zakah is an ibadah maliyah. An act of worship that is related to the wealth. Psalm is an act of ibadah that is badaniya, that is related to the body. It's a physical act of worship. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is an act of worship that is a secret. Fasting is an act of worship which is a secret between the slave, the servant, Worshipper and his Lord Jalla wa'ala. Nobody else 
is aware of it other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he goes on to say that because you find people, those who in the month of Ramadan are not fasting. For example, you may find or there may, there may be a person in Ramadan who isn't fasting. But everybody else thinks that he's fasting. Why? Because it's Ramadan. In Ramadan people fast. So there may be somebody who's muftir, not fasting. Everybody else thinks he's fasting because it's Ramadan. And likewise, a person may be fasting. For example, in this month right now. Yani in this season of winter, for example, when it is good, it's, it is a, yani it's a good time to be fasting. Why? Why is, it, why is winter a good time to be fasting? Yeah, yeah. So the Sahaba, they would say that yani, uh, they would, when winter would come, they would say, Marhaban bishita. Welcome to the shita. Welcome to the winter. Why? Because the days are short and therefore it's easier to fast. And the nights are long and it's easy to stand in prayer. So somebody could be fasting right now in the season of winter and you don't even know it. Why? Because fasting is a sir. It's an act of worship that is a secret between you and your Lord. Nobody knows whether or not you're engaged in that act of worship or not. And for that, for that reason, Sheikh Abdul Mahsin, he says, that it has been mentioned in the narration of Bukhari wa Muslim concerning acts of worship, a good deed, its reward is multiplied from 10 to 700. A good deed, the reward of which can, is multiplied from 10 to seven, uh, ten to seven hundred. Illa sawm, Allah says, except for, except for fasting. فَإِنَّهُ لِي But indeed it is for me. وَأَنَا أَجْزِي And I am the one that shall reward for it. No doubt all acts of worship, they are done solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why is it the case that fasting has been a special, special, uh, special mentioning of fasting has been made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the act of worship of fasting is something that is subtle and discreet it's something that is hidden it's something that nobody knows whether or not you're actually doing it other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala person stands up in prayer he prays everybody can see the act of worship of prayer it's a physical act of worship which is manifest which is visible fasting however is an act of worship which is not visible to the eyes of others thus when you do fast then only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that you're fasting and therefore Allah jalla wa ala has promised a reward for it that is bighayri hisab without any limit to it so that is part number seven part number seven was concerning fasting which is the uh, 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 fourth pillar of our deen. Part number eight. Hajju baytillah al-haram. Ibadatun maliyah badaniyah. So as for hajj, that is a physical act of worship. It's, a, it's an act of worship that is physical. And likewise, it's an ibadatun maliyah. 
it's an act of worship related to your wealth. So, like, so zakah is a wealth-based act of worship. Fasting is a physical act of worship from the body. Hajj is both of them. It's an ibadah maliyah, an act of worship related to wealth. Ibadah badaniyah, an act of worship related to the body. <coughs> And as we know, Allah Jalla wa'ala has made it obligatory. He has made, made the act of Hajj uh, mandatory upon a person once in his lifetime. And the, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he made a clarification concerning the fadl, the virtue of fasting. He alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Man hajja hadha al-bayta falam yarfuth walam yafsuq that the one who performs Hajj to this bait, to the Kaaba, and he is not obscene and doesn't commit disobedience, and in that time, in that period, he will go back like the day his mother gave birth to him. And when he goes back, he'll be like the day that his mother gave birth to him. What does that mean? All of his sins will be wiped away. That's the hadith in Sahih Bukhari wa Muslim. Likewise in Sahih Muslim, Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Al-umratu ila al-umrati kafaratun lima baynahuma wal-hajju al-mabrur laysa lahu jaza' illa al-jannah. The umrah to another umrah is an expiation for what is between the two of them. And you perform umrah and then Say uh, two, two years later you perform Umrah again. The sins that you committed between those two Umrahs, between that period of time of those two Umrahs, those sins are forgiven. And the Hajj that is accepted, there is no reward for it except Al-Jannah. So here we see the Fadl, the virtue of Al-Hajj. <clears throat> Let's go back to this Hadith. The wording of this hadith. Bunyal Islam ala khams. The messenger said, Islam, alayhi salatu wasalam, Islam is built upon five. Shahadatan la ilaha illallah, the testification of la ilaha illallah, wana Muhammad Rasulullah, that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, wa iqam salah, the establishment of the prayer, that's number two. Wa ita'i zakah, the giving of a zakah, that's number three. Wa hajjil bayt, number four. In this particular wording that has been collected by Imam, that Imam and now he quotes from, is the Hajj of the Bayt, the Hajj of the Yani the Bayt, Yani Al-Ka'bah. And the fifth pillar that has been mentioned, Som Ramadan, fasting in the month of Ramadan. This, um, this word or this order here, this order of the mentioning of the pillars of Islam, this love here, this wording here, this is the wording as has been reported in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari. In the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari, this is the order. Whereby, Hajj is mentioned before the mentioning of fasting. Hajj is mentioned before the mentioning of fasting. That is the wording that is contained in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari. For that reason, the books in al jamia al-Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari the order 
of the mentioning of these of these pillars is in accordance to the order of the mentioning of the pillars in this particular wording of this hadith meaning Imam al-Bukhari in his al-Jami sahih Kitab al-Hajj comes first and then Kitab al-Siyam okay however Imam Muslim rahmatullahi ta'ala in his sahih there are two reports one of them its wording is like the wording or the order of the mentioning of the pillars is like the order of the mentioning of the pillars in this particular report the wording of this particular report i.e. Hajj then Siyam there is another uh, report that he has of the five pillars of Islam within which Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma makes tasrih makes an explicit mentioning of the fact that this order he heard it directly from the messenger والسلام, let me say it again Ibn Umar uh, 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 Imam Muslim has another report in his sahih in that report Siyam is mentioned as the fourth pillar Hajj is mentioned as the fifth pillar okay that's hadith number 19 it's Imam's, Imam Muslim's sahih in that particular report within which Hajj is Siyam is mentioned first and then Hajj is mentioned after it in that particular wording that is tasrih that there is an explicit uh, mentioning from Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma that he heard this order from the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam himself that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam he mentioned this order himself I'll, I'll read the report to you Bunyal Islam ala khamsa Islam is based upon khams, upon five ala an yuwahhad Allah that Allah Tawheed of Allah is, is يعني, made. وَإِقَامِ الصَّلَاةِ And the establishment of the Salah. وَإِيْتَاءِ الزَّكَاةِ And the giving of Az-Zakah. وَصِيَامِ رَمَضَانِ And the fasting of Ramadan. Huh? It's a fourth pillar now. وَالْحَجِّ And الْحَجِّ فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ الْحَجُّ وَصِيَامِ رَمَضَانِ So a man that was listening to Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah dictate this narration the man that heard this dictation from Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah he said Hajj then the fasting of month of Ramadan yani he mentioned it in, a, in the other way around Ibn Umar he says I heard the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam say and he mentions the pillars of Islam and he says fasting then he says Hajj so uh, the per- one of the people that was listening to Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he said Al-Hajj wa Siyam Ramadan Hajj then the fasting of month of Ramadan he mentioned it as a question Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said La Siyam Ramadan wal-Hajj Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he said No Fasting in the month of Ramadan 
then hajj hakada sami'tuhu min rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that is how i heard it from the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam so therefore here we have an explicit mentioning of the fact that this is the order that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned the five pillars of islam in and therefore sheikh abdul muslim al-abad he says as for the other wordings then that is the narrators narrating it or relaying uh, relaying the report by meaning but here is the explicit uh, mentioning of the order within which the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said the said the said the five pillars of islam that's part number nine part number ten هذه الأركان الخمسة وردت في الحديث مرتبة حسب أهميتها. So these five pillars of Islam have been mentioned in this report based upon their importance. يعني the one that is most important has been mentioned. Then the one that is most important after that has been mentioned after that. And then the third pillar being most important after that and so on and so forth. So they've been mentioned in order of importance. The five pillars of Islam in this hadith have been mentioned in order of importance. So the shahada, shahada, the two shahadas, the two, the two testifications of faith, they are no doubt the most important pillar of Islam because everything else of Islam is based upon it. Without the two shahadas, the salah, the zakah, the siyam, the hajj is of no benefit. And thus, that is, the, that is the first pillar. The second pillar is a salah. And, the, and it is the most important. Why? Because it is something that is repeated every single day. Oh, yani, throughout the day and the night. And it's repeated every single day, and not just once, five times a day. فَهِيَ صِلَةٌ وَثِيقَةٌ بَيْنَ الْعَبْدِ وَبَيْنَ رَبِّهِ Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abbad, Hafidhah Allah Ta'ala, he says. And therefore, this salah, it is a very strong bond and tie between the servant and his Lord. Which other deen has this? Which other religion has this? That you have something via which you are in constant Connection with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala Not just on Sunday for an hour or two No, every single day An act of worship which isn't too burdensome Five times throughout the, throughout the day Cleansing you of your sins Five times a day When you are يعني, Putting your request and your plea towards your Lord Standing in front of him subhanahu wa ta'ala So therefore, this is very important It is a strong and bond between you and your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala it's five times a day very important for that reason it is a second pillar of Islam because it is the most important thing after the shahadatan second then and then after that is so what's after the salah zakah and zakah which occurs obviously only once a year but it's benefit you obviously Benefit from zakah, it purifies you, the reward you attain by way of it, the pleasure of your Lord you attain by way of it, but likewise something else. Sorry? Purifies your money, huh? I said, 
يعني its فائده is متعدي it is something that is received by others the benefit of zakah is يعني you benefit from it as well and others are also recipients of the benefit of this as zakah therefore it is the third act of uh, third uh, pillar of islam and then you have siyam similar to as zakah it only occurs once in the year however its benefit is just to yourself okay and therefore it's the fourth pillar and then you have the fifth pillar of islam which is hajj hajj occurs how many times do you have to do hajj is it once every year احسنت uh, once in your lifetime i promise amen next will be you okay the next question i'll give it to you okay طيب <laughs> so yes hajj only occurs once in a person's lifetime and therefore it's be mentioned it is the fifth pillar of islam Part number 11 part number 11 In Sahih Muslim it has been mentioned it has been mentioned a report there is a report in Sahih Muslim within which Ibn Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma he, he he related this hadith he reported this hadith when a man said to him ala taghzu when a man said to him will you not participate in any battle and going off on an expedition when the man asked him this question ibn umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma related this hadith the hadith of the five pillars of islam so and therefore sheikh abdul muhsin abad he says wa fihi al isharah ila anna al jihad laysa min arkan al islam this is therefore an indication of the fact that jihad it is not from the pillars of islam that is because these five pillars وذلك ان هذه الخمس لازمه باستمرار باستمرار لكل مكلف these five pillars are inseparable from every single mukallaf every single person that has been burdened with uh, following the deen of islam every single person he is mukallaf with the five pillars of islam however jihad Jihad is not jihad. يعني the five pillars of Islam they are fard aini. They are individual obligations. Jihad is not an individual obligation. It is a fard kifaya. It is a collective obligation. If there is someone from amongst the ummah that is doing it, then the obligation it see it uh, falls from falls from everybody else. That's part number eleven. Part number twelve is a summary summary of the benefits. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentions five benefits. Number one. This hadith it uh, highlights the importance of these five pillars due to them being pillars due, due to Islam being built upon them number one this hadith highlights the importance of the pillars uh, highlights the importance of these five due to the fact that Islam is built upon them number two in this narration there is يعني likening something that is non-physical to something that is physical in order for the meaning the meaning to be embedded in the person's in the, in the mind and here that is likening something 
that is non-physical, yani the pillars of Islam, to something that is physical, meaning the pillars of a building. Why? 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 Yani what? What do these met metaphorical examples do? They help embed the meaning of whatever you're trying to learn into the mind. Number three, al-badu bil aham fal aham. Yani in this narration, we see that. The most important matter is begun with, and then that which follows on after it. Number three, the most important matter is begun with, and then that which follows on after it. Number four, that the shahadatan, that the two testimonies of faith, they are pillars in and of themselves. As we mentioned last week, both of them are يعني, indispensable from each other. Without shahada la ilaha illallah, there is no shahada anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Without shahada uh, anna Muhammad Rasulullah, there is no shahada la ilaha illallah. Likewise, there are pillars for the rest of the uh, for the rest of your deen. There are pillars for the rest of your of your deen, and therefore no action is accepted except if it is built upon the two testimonies of faith. And number five. That after the shahada, salah has been given uh, 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 precedence over the rest of the acts of worship. Salah has been given precedence over the rest of the acts of worship. Why? Because it is a firm and tight connection between a slave and his lord. That's the end of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation to the third hadith. Does anything need to be repeated? Okay, so now we'll move on to hadith number four. And that is the hadith of Abi Abdul Rahman, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, حدثنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو الصادق المصدوق. He said that the messenger of Allah عليه الصلاة والسلام narrated to us and he is a صادق, the truthful one, and المصدوق. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin he'll explain what these two terms mean. He is a صادق and he is المصدوق. إن أحدكم يجمع خلقه في بطن أمه أربعين يوما نطفة. Indeed, the خلق, the creation of one of you, is gathered together in the belly of his mother for forty days as a نطفة, as a نطفة, as a drop. ثم يكون علاقة مثل ذلك. And then it becomes into an علاقة. Into an alaqa, in a clot, يعني a clot of blood, for a similar period of time. ثم يكون مضغة مثل ذلك, and then it becomes into a مضغه, chewed piece of flesh, for a similar period of time. ثم يرسل إليه الملك, فينفخ فيه الروح, ويؤمر بأربع كلمات, and then. The angel is sent to him, sent to the fetus, يعني, 
and he blows within him the soul and he is commanded with the writing of four words yani four matters bikatbi rizqihi wa ajalihi wa amalihi wa shaqiyun aw sa'id with the writing of his sustenance his lifespan his actions and whether he'll be wretched whether he'll be wretched or happy yani in terms of the afterlife Besides whom there is no other true God. Yani by Allah, besides whom there is no other true God. Indeed one of you will surely do the actions of the people of paradise until there is nothing between him and it, yani between the person and, the, and paradise, except, except for a dhira'ah. Except for a dhira'ah. What's a dhira'ah, ya Ayman? What's a dhira'ah? Um, How did you know that? MashaAllah. Illa dhira'ah. There is nothing between the person and paradise. Illa dhira'ah. Except for an arm's length. And then the book overtakes him. And thus he does the actions of the people of hellfire. And thus he enters into it. Wa inna ahadakum la ya'amalu bi'amali ahli nar. حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا إِلَّا ذِرَاعٍ فَيَسْبِقُ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابِ فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا That indeed one of you shall do the actions of the people of the fire of hell up until there is nothing between it and between يعني between him and hellfire except for a ذِرَاعٍ except for an arm's length but then the book overtakes him and thus he does the actions of the people of paradise Thus he enters into it. The hadith having been, having been recorded by Imam al-Bukhari wa Muslim. So Shaykh Abdul Masjid al-Abbad, his explanation to this hadith is divided into 11 parts. Part number one. The statement of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he said, when he described the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam as being a sadiq and as being al-mastuq. So a sadiq meaning the truthful one. A sadiq Meaning the truthful one. The one that is truthful in his statement. The one that is truthful in his statement. Al-Masduq. The one who is believed in concerning the revelation that he, that he brings. The one that is believed in concerning the revelation that he brings. And it was يعني, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Him describing the Messenger والسلام, when relating this report was relevant. Why? Because this hadith contains information concerning the unseen, concerning Al Ghaib, concerning the unseen. Those matters that cannot be uh, 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 known except by revelation. Except by revelation. <laughs> 
And thus, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala an, he made a mention of these two characteristics of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, that he is sadiq and that he is masduq, that he is the truthful one and that he is the one uh, who, who, who is believed in concerning the revelation that he يعني, is uh, imparting. Likewise, I believe Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen or others from the Ahlul Ilm have also explained al-Masduq to be to mean the one to whom the truth is spoken to. I believe it was Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen. Al-Masduq, the one to whom the truth is spoken to. The one that received wahi, the one that received the revelation. Part number two. The statement of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu was salam. يُجْمَعُ خَلْقُهُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَجْمَعُ إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ يُجْمَعُ خَلْقُهُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ That indeed, the, cre- the creation of one of you is gathered together in the belly of his mother. When the Messenger says, خَلْقُهُ Indeed, the creation of one of you, the creation one of you, the khalq of one of you, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abad, he says, وَالْمُرَادُ بِخَلْقِهِ مَا يَكُونُ مِنْهُ خَلْقُ الْإِنسَانِ The intent behind the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, khalquhu, indeed the khalq of one of you, the creation of one of you, meaning the substance from which you are created. The substance from which you are created. So when the messenger said, indeed the creation of one of you is gathered together in the belly of his mother, meaning the substance via which you are created. The substance via which the human being is created, namely the fluid of the man and the fluid of the woman, the male fluid and the female fluid. Therefore, the statement of the messenger when he said, إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ يُجْمَعُ خَلْقُهُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ Indeed, the creation of one of you is gathered together. This is in relation to the fluid of the man and the fluid of the woman being combined, gathering together in the womb of the mother. In the womb of the mother. طيب, part number three. Part number three. In this hadith, there is a mentioning of the stages of the fetus. The stages of the fetus. Stage number one, an nutfa, or the stages of the creation of the human being. Part number, يعني stage number one, as a nutfa, as a drop, يعني as a small amount of fluid, small amount of Fluid. Nutfa, small amount of fluid. Second stage, alaqa. Alaqa, which is clotted up blood. Clotted blood. Third stage is mudra. Third stage is mudra. Piece of flesh. How big? How big is this piece of flesh? Does anybody know? 
yeah, chewed meat. So equivalent to the size of mouthful. Equivalent to the size of a mouthful of meat. Equivalent to the size of a mouthful of meat that a person chews when he's eating. <coughs> And then like Shaykh Abdul Nafis al-Abban, he quotes certain ayat within which there is a mentioning of these stages. So here we have a mentioning of these stages within this hadith. Shaykh Abdul Nafis al-Abban, he makes a mention of other ayat. One of them being Surah Al-Hajj, ayah number 5. And likewise Surah Al-Mu'minun, ayah number 12, ayah number 14. Ayah number 12 to ayah number 14. As for Surah Al-Hajj, Ya ayyuhal nas, in kuntum fi raybin min al-ba'ti, fa'inna khalaqnaakum min turab. O mankind, if you are in doubt concerning resurrection, then indeed we have made you from soil, yani Adam alayhi salam, thumma min nutfah, and then from a drop, thumma min alaqah, and then from an alaqah, yani clot of blood. ثُمَّ مِنْ مُضْغَةٍ مُخَلَّقَةٍ وَغَيْرِ مُخَلَّقَةٍ And then from a mudgha, يعني, a, like a chewed piece of flesh, created and not created, meaning fashioned and likewise unfashioned. And likewise, Surah Al-Mu'minun, wherein Allah Jalla wa Ala, He said, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ سُلَالَةٍ مِنْ طِينَ Indeed, we created the human being from an extract of طِينَ, of clay, ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُطْفَةً فِي قَرَارٍ مَكِينٍ And then we, uh, 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 we made him into a drop in a fixed place. ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا النُطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً And then we made the drop into a عَلَقَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُضْغَةً And then we made the عَلَقَةً into a مُضْغَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْمُضْغَةَ عِظَامًا and then we made the mudghah into bones. And then we dressed the iram, we clothed the bones with flesh. And then we made him into another creation. Therefore, blessed be Allah, the best of creators. So this is part number two concerning this initial part within which... Surah Al-Mu'minun, ayah number 12 to ayah number 14. Surah Al-Mu'minun, ayah number 12 to ayah number 14. Two ayahs Shaykh Abdul Muhsin mentions. What do you think? Third part? Third part? You sure? Yes, it's the third part. Now we'll move on to part number four. Part number four. <coughs> so in this hadith of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam في الحديث أنه بعد مضي هذه الأطوار الثلاثة وقدرها مئة وعشرين يوم نفخ فيه الروح So in this hadith there is a mentioning of the fact that after these three stages which three stages? Which three stages? Anybody else? Adults. 
Which three stages? So the Shaykh Abdul Muhsin is about to say something. After these three stages, which three stages? Uh, number one, nutfa, drop. Number two, alaqa, clot of blood. Number three, mudgha, flesh, chewed piece of, like a chewed piece of flesh. Which is a period for, of how many days? Anybody else? Yeah, each each stage is forty days. So what's forty times three? It's three stages, huh? Oh, mashallah, mubarak. Hundred and twenty. How many months is that? How many months is that? How many months is one hundred and twenty days? Huh? Roughly around four. For what? Four months. We have our line of mathematicians here. So after that period, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, that's when the soul is breathed into the fetus. At that point, at that point, the fetus becomes insanun hay, a living human being. Prior to that, he's considered dead. There are four stages that the human being goes through. There are four stages that the human being goes through. Death, then life, then death, then life. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he mentioned several ayat. We mentioned one um, from, surah to, from Surah Al-Baqarah, from Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 28. كيف تكفرون بالله how can you disbelieve in, disbelieve in Allah? وَكُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتًا You were dead. That's the first stage. ثُمَّ فَأَحْيَاكُمْ And then he gave life to you. ثُمَّ يُمِيتُكُمْ And then he'll cause you death. ثُمَّ يُحْيِيكُمْ And then he'll cause you life. And then he'll bring you back to life. ثُمَّ إِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ And then you go back to him. So these are the four stages that a human being goes, to, goes through. First stage is before the soul was blown into you. When you were just a piece of matter, just, just a, a fetus. Before the angel blew his soul into you, you were at the first stage of your existence. Mayit, dead. Second stage is from the point when the soul was blown into you, all the way until you were given birth to, all the way throughout this life, all the, up until you die. That's the second stage. So that's your, that's your first life. It's your first life. The other one, your first death, this is your first life. The third stage is when you leave this world, when you die in this world, uh, up until you are resurrected. Up until you are resurrected. That is your second death. The third stage is your second death. From the moment you leave this world, up until you are resurrected. That does not negate the Hayat al-Barzakhiyah. The life in the, in the grave. And as for the fourth life, and that is the Life that, that will not be followed by death. It is the everlasting life, the non-ending life, 
the life from the time that you are resurrected and forever after that. Either to paradise or to hellfire. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he grants us paradise and he saves us from the hellfire. So Shaykh Abdul Muhsin, he says that when the child, when the fetus has the soul blown into him, after he was dead, after he was dead, he was just fetus, when the soul is blown into him, that's when he becomes a living human being. And therefore, all of the ahkam, all of the rulings that are connected to birth take effect. That point onwards, all of the rulings that are connected to birth take effect after that. And in the Sheikh Abdul Masih, he mentioned some examples like the washing, like the يعني, uh, exiting the idda period for the woman, uh, whether the child is male or female, uh, postnatal uh, bleeding, all of the ahkam that are related to birth follow, they apply and they take effect. After the soul is blown into the fetus. So for example, if the child, if the, um, after the period of 120 days, after the soul has been blown into the fetus, and the woman miscarries, then the child is washed and, and what have you. Uh, 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 likewise in terms of the idda period. Likewise in terms of uh, postnatal bleeding. Likewise in terms of matters related to um, yani abortion, for example, and things like this, they are they all take effect when the soul is born into. So, for example, if abortion uh, somebody does so after the four months, after the period of the the four months, then the ulama say, then that is yani a major sin. That is taking the life of a human being, taking the life of a human being after the four months. He or she is a living human being now. You can't just take his life or her life. Tayyip, point number five, or part number five. And we'll stop at part number five. And part number five is very, very brief. And that is, بعد كتابة الملك رزقه وأجله وذكر أو أنثى وشقي أو سعيد After the angel writes down the sustenance of the Person, the lifespan, whether male or female, whether happy or sad, meaning whether he's going to be happy or sad in the afterlife. لا تكون معرفة الذكورة والأنوثة من علم الغيب الذي يختصه يختص الله تعالى به. After that, after the angel writes down these matters, then the knowledge as to whether or not the fetus is male or female isn't now considered from those matters that are from the uh, 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 from those matters of knowledge that is that is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only Allah knows what is in the womb only Allah knows what is in the womb when the angel writes it down he writes down the lifespan the sustenance and whether male or female not in this report but there are other reports in Sahih Bukhari in Sahih Muslim Within which the angel uh, he, he he knows the gender he knows the gender. Ya Rabbi, a dhakaran or untha? 
O my Lord A male or female يعني يا رب O my Lord أشقي أو سعيد Is he going to be happy or sad? Do I write down happy or sad? Oh my Lord, is he going to be male or female? So there's other reports in Bukhari wa Muslim within which the angel, he knows the gender. He knows the gender of the fetus. Therefore, now, after that point, that knowledge of the gender of the fetus is not considered from the ilm of the ghayb, from the knowledge of the unseen that only Allah knows. Why? Because Allah has now allowed the angel to know what the gender is. Because the angel now has now come to know it. And now it is possible for it to be known whether the fetus is male or female. So that's part number five. And inshallah ta'ala, next week we shall complete uh, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad hafizahullah ta'ala's explanation to this hadith. And then inshallah move on to hadith number five and hopefully complete hadith number five as well. Does anything need repeating? <coughs> okay, there's a question here. Questions, I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I have, but if I haven't, and I mention it today, questions that are not related to the lesson, it is better that you uh, pose them to uh, Abu Mu'ad Taqweem, hafizahullah ta'ala, on your Saturday circles with him. On Saturday he comes here and he gives his lesson, so you can save your questions um, for the Saturday lesson, the lesson that you have with Abu Mu'ad and pose your questions to him. Uh, the question here, it says, can you please... So, but questions that are obviously related to the lesson, if something needs repeating or clarifying, we'll clarify it. Questions that are outside of the lesson, questions that are outside of the lesson, that you can pose them to others. Can you please explain the definitions of Tawheed, Aqeed and Manhaj, and how are they different? Tawheed, what does it mean linguistically? What does Tawheed mean linguistically? Hmm? Linguistically, what does it mean? Uh, in Arabic, what does it mean? Just the word itself. That's a technical, that's a shari meaning of it. What's the. Yeah. 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 To make something one. <coughs> to make something one. And uh, what does it mean legislatively? Something that's a, a bit more all-inclusive. Ifrad Allah Ta'ala bima yakhtassu bihi. Okay, to single out Allah in what is specific to him. To single out Allah in what is specific to him. And that is of three categories. Number one is, what's the first one? It's the first category of Tawheed. The Lordship of Allah, the oneness of Allah and His Lordship. Number two. The oneness of Allah and His right of worship. The oneness of Allah and His names and His attributes. Aqeedah and Manhaj. And how are they different? Aqeedah and Manhaj, these are terms that are related to the usul of your deen, the foundations of your deen, the principles of your deen. Those matters in which there is no valid 
difference of opinion. There is no difference of opinion in the matters of your usul, in the fundamental matters of your religion. These are the matters that the Salaf were united upon. The early Imams of our deen, the A'lam, the great scholars of our deen, the Imams of our deen, those Imams whose Imamah was born witnessed to by others, like Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna, ibn al-Mubarak, Imam Hassan al-Basri, and so on and so forth, ibn Sirin, all of these Imams. In the usul of the deen, in the foundations of the deen, in the principles, in the fundamentals of the deen, it was like the statements were coming off the tongue of one man. If you hear one of them speak about the names and the attributes of Allah, it's, a, it's as though, and you go to the other person, <coughs> and you hear his opinion, it's as though the statements are coming from one man, one, one person. Why? Because they had no difference of opinion. The righteous Salaf, the righteous predecessors, the righteous ancestors of our deen, they had no difference of opinion concerning the usul of our deen, the fundamentals of our deen. So that is what Aqidah and Manhaj is in reference to, in reference to the fundamentals of our deen. So you go back to the uh, works that they authored in order to determine what are the usul of our deen. Usul al-Sunnah of Imam Ahmad. In it there are usul of the deen, Aqidah and Manhaj. Likewise, you go to Sharh al-Sunnah Imam al-Barbahari, usul of the deen and so on and so forth. Aqidah is a term that is used in relation to something more specific, whereas manhaj is a more general term, a more broader term, a more broad term. Aqidah is a term that is, more, that is specific in relation to your beliefs, those things that you believe in your heart, those things that are firmly tied to your heart. That is why aqidah is called aqidah. It comes from uh, the verb aqada, to tie. <clears throat> so your aqidah are those matters that you believe in concerning the unseen. Matters that you believe in concerning the unseen. The pillars of which are how many? The pillars of your aqidah are how many? Six. I'm surprised nobody is answering because we just covered that in which hadith? Second hadith, hadith of Jibreel. So the six pillars of Iman, they are the pillars of your aqidah. So everything that is connected to that goes into the field, into the study of aqidah. Allah's names and attributes, angels, prophets, yawm al-akhir, and so on and so forth. Manhaj is a more broader term, and it is in reference to the methodology that the Salaf were upon in the various different fields of our deen. So for example, what was the manhaj of the Salaf when it came to, for example, dealing with the rulers, dealing with tyrannical rulers even if the rulers may have beliefs which are beliefs of kufr beliefs of disbelief what was the manhaj of the salaf in terms of how they used to interact with them what was the manhaj of the salaf as to how to interact with oppressive yani tyrannical despotic rulers was it to gather together yani as a uh, gather into a cult and then revolt against them? 
أحسن أحسن تبارك الله فيك المنهج which means a methodology the course of action that the Salaf took concerning oppressive rulers was to be patient so we follow them in that regard because it's a fundamental of our deen it's in the books within which the usul of the deen the fundamentals of the deen have been mentioned what was the manhaj of the Salaf concerning how to deal with Ahlul Bid'ah was it the case that they would say let us unite upon that which we have in common and excuse each other in which we differ? No. The manhaj of the Salaf was that they had a distinct barrier between them and Ahl al-Bid'ah. Nothing to do with us, nothing to do with them. Separate. And thus everybody knew, who, everybody knew clearly who the people of Sunnah were. They had this distinct barrier between them and Ahl al-Bid'ah. Imam Ahmad, he mentions it uh, categorically. In his usul, as sunnah, wa tarkul bid'a, wa tarkul julusi, ma'a ashab al ahwa. That we leave off bid'a, this is from the fundamentals of our deen, that we leave off bid'a, and we leave off sitting with the people of desires, meaning the people of bid'a. How do you revive the ummah when the ummah is in the state that it's in today? Go back to the salaf. What did they say? Imam Malik said what? What's the famous statement of Imam Malik? When the Ummah <coughs> is going to be in a state of يعني, uh, decay, what did Imam Malik say about how it's going to be rectified? <laughs> Imam Malik said the latter part of the Ummah will not be rectified except by that which rectified its earlier part. Tamasuk bi Sunnah, holding on to the Sunnah, and so on and so forth. So this is what the term manhaj is in reference to. It's a more broader term concerning the usul of your deen. Among those matters are how the ummah should be revived, how to, dis how to deal with despotic and tyrannical rulers, how uh, to deal with ahl bid'ah, and so on and so forth. Ayy wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallillahu ma'ala nabiyyana Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.